So hypothetically, if you died during the recording of this episode and I decided to carry on with someone whose name was Nolan with two L's, would you be upset? <laughs> Fuck yes. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. If you decided to carry on the podcast with someone pretending to be me, I would be fucking upset. So you really didn't enjoy this movie then is what I'm gathering. <laughs> Fuck no. This movie was a piece of shit. I love fucking Bruce Lee and this Well, let me ask ruined... you this. If you love Bruce Lee so much, how come you uh, need to issue an apology right now? <laughs> because I thought I was a good fan and saw all the movies. Upon watching this movie, I have never seen it before. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was the alcohol content that was pouring through me after watching Sweet November, or maybe it was the sort of emotions that feelings were and emotions you. of loss um, <laughs> from the romantic uh, loss of Keanu Reeves and Charlize Theron. Yeah. I don't, I don't know which one it was that contributed to my hard fail there. I had seen some of the fight scenes. But as we learned very quickly, only 11 minutes of Bruce Lee in the original film make it into this masterpiece. Yeah, this is, uh, it's real thin in terms of actual Bruce Lee content. We'll get into all that, of course. Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. <laughs> I'm Nolan. And this week we are discussing Game of Death, Bruce Lee's final motion picture. Although, again, 11 minutes, kind of hard to chalk <sighs> it up as his final one. I guess this is the last original content from him, right? It is. Um, the sad part about this is, the original filming of it had about 30 minutes of material, I think, total. And they did release something, but I don't think anything worked out with it. And so some people who wanted to make a bunch of money decided to continue and sort of reproduce and create this film again. This is like a much less happy version of Spookies. Yes, actually, I thought yeah. about Spookies while watching this because it is a movie where they're trying to piece together some film footage that was created before and then come up with a plot to make it um, enjoyable. And I had a conversation with a friend about this who watched both of those with me. We actually, funnily enough, watched Spookies and this movie together, and uh, I thought Spookies did it better. I definitely enjoyed Spookies a whole lot more, and I like the way well, that piece. No, hang on a second. But, yeah. did, did it better is a relative term because yeah, like, <laughs> he felt that actually this. This film made a more coherent story than Spookies, but I really hated the parts that they created to pull together the old footage in this. And we're going to talk about all those parts, but before we do, let's talk about the beer that we're going to be enjoying today. How happy are you about this one? <laughs> I mean, I'm really excited because it's an IPA, um, but we're going to be drinking the Brute Lee uh, 2, it says. It's a Brute IPA. Uh, the can itself has a picture of Bruce Lee kicking over an IPA. So <laughs> that's kind of beautiful. Yeah. They even have the right IPA glass on the front cover here. This is from Rouge River Brewing Company out of Markham, Ontario. Um, they're sort of a smaller brewery. They have a few different beers connected to movies. So it's something that maybe we should try to connect with again for another episode for sure. I think they have a Risky Biscuits one, they call it. It's a hibiscus beer. That seems like a stretch to me. Yeah, I kind of like it. And then they have one called Planet of the APAs instead of Planet that's, of the Apes. That's solid. That's very good. So that's good. On their website, they don't give a ton of information. They show how you can buy online and you can get lots of their cool beers. They do say that they like hop forward and sour ales. So it's kind of a really nice... Uh, I mean, you love sour sours ales for me. and Fruited I love sours. hop forward. It's kind of the right kind of brewery for me. So I'm excited about it. Apparently, they are celebrating their fifth anniversary last week. So it's kind of a nice time for us to be um, drinking this beer and uh, telling you about it, too. So I'm looking forward to trying this Rouge River Brute Lee IPA. I'm not, but hey, it's not all about me. Let's get into it. One day you're going to stop shitting on IPAs before you try them. 
So we open with the classic Golden Harvest logo. And from there, the exploitation begins. <laughs> so I did a bit of research while watching and following this movie. And there's a whole series of movies that are called Bruce exploitation movies. Basically, they're all created to be like Bruce Lee movies, but were created after his death. And this definitely seems like exploitation to me. Oh my God, there's this is nothing but exploitation. But yes, what you're describing, they actually, I believe one of the guys in this who stands in for him later went on to star in several movies under the name of Bruce Lee, but spelled L-I, which I mean, that's like our Charles Bronson, Robert Bronzy thing from fucking Back in Murphy's Yeah, Lot. exactly. It's funny how often this has ha happened in Hollywood and how often it is successful, right? Like they obviously were making money on all these exploitation films. Otherwise they wouldn't watch it. I, I wonder why audiences... Don't discriminate more on that. Like, is this something that oh, you think... Oh, well, hang on. I think they do. I mean, it's not like these are actual theatrical releases in a lot of cases. It's like straight to video and people want like... You just don't want to say goodbye, right? Is what it is. It's like, you know, just I wish there on, were yeah. more Charles Bronson. I wish there were more Bruce Lee movies. So you get like a knockoff and then yeah, things go that's kind it. of fair. Um, I, He had made 24 films um, total and that had been from when he was very young to when he was sort of in his prime while this was being made or it started to be made. This was ranked on many lists as the very worst one. I mean, it's hard to argue from a moral standpoint that this is absolutely the worst movie he's involved in because yeah. it just like... <laughs> you can't argue against it. It's, no. it's, it's true. It's, it's weird. So we get started with some like intros of Bruce Lee and what feels like a very Bond-esque intro. I had the same thing. Yeah, it is a James Bond-esque kind of credits. Old footage of Bruce Lee. Get used to seeing that. Noted wife murderer Gig Young is in this movie. What? You don't know about this? Yeah, he no. murdered his wife like very famously. Oh my goodness! And yeah. he's one of the main bad guys in this film. No, he's the he's the, the like the friend, the the newspaper guy. He's the newspaper guy, yeah. and he had the kindly old wife. man. Yeah, he murdered his wife later at, on. at an older age then, because he's pretty old in this movie. Yeah. So this came out in seventy eight. Well, it was filmed in seventy eight, but didn't this come out in like nineteen eighty? Oh. Okay, possibly. Okay, you mentioned so, there's two versions of this, yes, right? So yeah, there's know, a yeah. couple different versions. Originally, it started in seventy two, but Giggs' parts were only later in the film. Well, he shows up in the subsequent footage. Yeah, with, uh, yeah. This is such a mess. We're gonna get into really all kinds is. of these strange issues. I bet this is one of those films that's not just hilarious for us to laugh at, but there is a lot of content. I bet there's tons of podcasts or movies, or there might even be documentaries related to this thing, I would guess. Well, there's so much to dive into here, really. like There's so many different directions we can go. We'll kind of see which ones we cover as we go through this. Uh, also in this movie, and speaking of this, a very young and unbearded Chuck Norris, only that's actually footage from a different movie. <laughs> yeah, so... I claim to be a fan of the films previous to this in a previous episode. I have definitely watched the movie where he fights Chuck Norris. I think it's Way of the Dragon. Um, and he has this really cool scene that's sort of the climax of the movie where they fight in the Colosseum in Rome. And this film starts as them filming that film. Like, we're getting very meta here. Yeah. All I could think of when I saw Chuck Norris is that Chuck Norris without the beard is like a cinnamon roll without the icing. <laughs> like, you'll probably still eat it, but you're not going to enjoy it as much, you know? I mean, he had enough hair on his back and chest to make up for <laughs> so his beard and hair. Shoulders, like, yeah. yeah. The man, it, like, he can grow hair like most others cannot. So you understand where all of this Chuck Norris lore comes from, right? He We 
we give Chuck Norris all the shit and there's all these jokes about it, but he was a pretty serious martial artist and film star at the time for sure. We just jump right into Bruce Lee beating the shit out of him. So <laughs> there's a, like, I mean, you can't beat Bruce Lee. Like nobody could. No, and no dialogue for Chuck in this movie. Bruce Lee just knocks him out right before the director of a film crew that are definitely not in the same place as this. Y'all cut. So as you mentioned, they're trying to film this in the Coliseum, but that film crew is definitely not there. We are very quickly getting some really horrible cuts of something that has really happened to something that they're trying to make connected. And one of the great themes throughout this horror show is awful cuts in editing. Oh God, it is jarring how clearly different the footage filmed after his death is from the original. Like not even close. It's not even believable at all. And this makes me like... One, upset because it just adds to the cash grab that it is. But two, it makes me realize how dated this is. We've seen films more recently where this has been done kind of effectively, right? Um, Even as early as his son's passing in The Crow, they were able to finish that movie and make it seem like it was realistic. Uh, we get later examples. We talked about... Fast and the Furious, yeah. Paul Walker, that's one of the most common examples, right? Exactly. But I, but I have different feelings about that, though, because that was... Like, they give him a beloved send-off to a character in a long-running franchise. This movie, basically, if you didn't know better, this movie would end and you'd be like, oh, I can't wait for the next Bruce Lee movie. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not saying they did it well. In fact, I'm saying how horrible it stands up compared to those, like, more modern adaptations of that same kind of idea. This is just awful. And we are about to get maybe the most egregious moment in the entire film for editing. And I won't spoil it until we talk a little bit more about the plot. All right, well, before we get to that, shortly after they finish rolling, a giant stage light falls right on the spot where Bruce Lee had only moments before been standing, which they are sure to spell out for us. That thing crashed exactly where you were. I know, I know. Watch it up there! <laughs> like, come on, man. They always do this uh, to us. Yeah, they're setting up some disasters for our main character here pretty quickly. What we find out is that um, Bruce Lee and or his many body doubles are a character called Billy Lowe, and he's in sort of a martial arts movie star. Yes, he heads backstage where a man is waiting for him. That's Steiner. And after what is clearly dubbed footage of the real Bruce Lee not saying, so you got in here finally, he quickly lets the fake Bruce Lee and all of us know that maybe that little accident on set wasn't an accident after all. This guy is supposed to be menacing. We're, we're learning that there's somebody kind of out for our character, Billy Lowe. We're not sure who it is yet. We- well, he tells us pretty quickly. He's representing a syndicate of entertainment mobsters who want Bruce Lee's character, Billy, to sign a management contract with them. Yeah, this is really confusing. I, I don't understand this syndicate of sort of entertainment mobsters. It was strange to me. I didn't know why it existed. We have this guy, and he's a bit of an older gentleman, but he's threatening because he has a sword cane. Yeah, exactly. He slides the sword out of his cane. That's how he tells Billy that he's serious. He slides it out right next to Billy's face. Only by Billy's face, I mean a cutout of Bruce Lee's head. Literally, they cut out a picture of Bruce's head and taped it to a mirror and had the other guy sit behind it. Why did they choose a close-up of this? I was shouting at the fucking screen. This was absurd. The cutout of Bruce Lee's face in the mirror doesn't move. As you can clearly see, the stand-in double's head moving and the hair bouncing around and it not being him. I can't. 
cannot believe that they thought this would pass. There's also like a black outline around it. Oh, like yeah, it's, not, it's, it's clear. It's real. not really Bruce Lee. It's clear that was a cardboard cutout of him. It is incredible. I was like, this is how we're starting out. It was at this point that I was like, I've never seen this fucking movie. This movie is you'd new remember to me. That. I would have remembered remember this that, bullshit. Yeah. I was like, I'm a complete liar. I said the wrong thing last <laughs> week, but I can't believe this. Yeah, you are a liar. But you know what? You apologize for everything. <laughs> so we're all good now. It's fine. <laughs> Billy does not take kindly to these threats. And he ends up backhanding Steiner, who immediately tells him that, that was a big mistake. We cut from there to a recording studio. I meet Billy's girlfriend, Anne. She's in the middle of laying down a track when Billy walks in. And their Bruce Lee workaround for this scene is to have him wear giant sunglasses indoors. <laughs> and also, also, he enters from behind the glass. So the glass and her reflection kind of blocks his face. It's still noticeable, but way better than the cutout head in the last scene. Oh, yeah. This is definitely better than the cutout head. I'm blown away by the sort of extremes they go to hide that it's not really him. The glasses are laughable. They're the giant 70s glasses. They remind me of Elton John. Just the sure. biggest possible glasses you can wear. They want they, to cover the maximum amount of face. Yeah, and they cover a lot. <laughs> Most of the shots are from behind or the back or over the shoulder. You do not get any zoom-ins or very close um, sort of well, shots. Well, not yet. Oh, we're going to get those yeah. later when it becomes obscene. This dude actually does look kind of like Bruce Lee. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're like right. If, from a distance, you'd be like, oh, that's Bruce Lee. Later on, the other guy does not look very much like him, and they give that guy a ton of close-ups. The choices for when to zoom and when to not zoom in the close-ups, in this, they make no sense. It almost made me feel like there were separate directors of the second half. Now, that's not true, right? It's not like Spooky's in that sense. So. But it seemed like there was disparity in the way that they treated the Bruce Lee stand-ins, and I thought that that was in, like... Interesting by interesting, I mean you guys fucking suck. They're not, they're not good. No. Um, so Billy and Anne have dinner plans. Before we see those, Steiner reports back to his boss about how Billy's refusing to play ball and sign a contract. His boss, Dr. Land, shows off his menacing credentials by watching his lionfish feed. And we quickly find out that he's got enforcers all over the place, like Mr. Stick, who just got back from a very eventful trip to Berlin, and a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar stand-in playing the role of Hakeem. <laughs> so the one thing I remembered when you brought this movie up was the fight between Bruce Lee and Kareem Abdul. That's the scene that everyone has seen from this, yeah. Right? And, and I definitely remember that, and that's why I was so confident that I had seen this. The person in the shadows is clearly not Hakeem. And what I learned after doing a very brief amount of internet research is that Hakeem refused to be a part of this remake. He was like, that's bullshit. Sorry, the character Hakeem did? Sorry, Kareem <laughs> refused to be a part of the remake. He was like, that's bullshit. I have more self-respect for that. I liked Bruce. You shouldn't be doing this and wouldn't be there. So what they did is they found another tall black man. And they decided they would keep him in the shadows. Except... Except he doesn't look like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He doesn't. No, you're right. Like, the hair is similar, and he's tall-ish. He's not Kareem yeah, Abdul-Jabbar no, tall. No, he's not. He's about your height rather than Kareem's height. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are serious anyway, and now they're after Billy and Anne, and we see proof of this on their way to the dinner as the two of them are stopped by some anonymous goons on motorcycles, one of whom is wearing the iconic yellow tracksuit that Bruce Lee himself will wear later in this movie. I thought this was actually a pretty good decision. I like the way that they made the syndicate's goons wear one color tracksuits, and one of them was wearing that yellow tracksuit, right? Like that yellow tracksuit ninja thing is something we think of when we think of Bruce Lee. 
Yeah, and famously referenced in the Kill Bill movies also. Absolutely, so, yeah. you're right. Good call. Now, for some reason, Steiner is also there, even though he was just in Dr. Land's office. Like, that was seems too abrupt for him to be there. A lot of the transitions in this movie don't make sense, right? The time periods and the way that people get from place to place are not accounted for. They We wouldn't be able to sort of make that work in real life, but it has to happen for movie purposes. Yeah, the continuity editing, though, not great. Uh, any editing in this <laughs> film? <laughs> yeah. They needed so many cuts in this film, but they were willing to take so many leaps of faith that it's just out of this world. I agree. Now, Steiner tells Billy he's got until tomorrow morning to sign the deal, and then we get a quick fight scene, and again, sunglasses on just the whole time. They finally make it to dinner after all that excitement, and Gig Young explains to them that if they take the syndicate's deal, they'll be handing over their entire lives. Disagreeing means trouble, though, as we get hilarious footage of the real Kareem Abdul-Jabbar just ragdolling some guy who apparently also tried to turn the syndicate down. <laughs> this footage is funny. The guy tries to run away from Kareem up a set of stairs, and Kareem, as a like clearly amazing basketball player, leaps up, grabs him by the ears, and rips him over the railing. He drops from about 11 feet. Oh, yeah, he's just tossing this guy around. It's pretty amazing. The guy himself looks like he's about three feet compared to Kareem. Yeah, there's a real size discrepancy there. Gig Young has no answers for how Billy should get out of the situation, but Billy breaks out what sounds like an ancient proverb to make the decision himself. It is better to die a broken piece of jade than to live a life of clay. He will not bow. This is a really weird syndicate. It's my interpretation in this that all of this is happening in Hong Kong. Eventually, we know they're in Macau. That comes later. Yes. So they've got to be somewhere that you can reach Macau by ferry. Is that Hong Kong? I, I don't know enough of my uh, sort of Asian geography to make that a reality, but I feel like it's there. But this syndicate is pretty much all white people. And I know that there was a large British influence and persistence in Hong Kong, and that's the only way to explain why white people are kind of the only ones leading the day in this film. But it seems weird to me. Who was running the Kumite in Bloodsport? Was that white guys? No. Which was good. You mean it was cult culturally appropriate? Slightly more culturally appropriate. <laughs> this seems yeah. funny to me that uh, it is all them. I had a problem with the Kumite in Bloodsport because they spoke English. Okay. One thing's for sure, though, this will not be easy to get away from them. As we see the three motorcycle goons watching Billy and Ann as they leave the restaurant, and the next day, Dr. Land tells his henchman, Carl, to give Billy a final warning. Carl's warning breaks up a conversation between Billy and his uncle, who is apparently an actor in some kind of kabuki theater. <laughs> he in this theater becomes like the safe place for this character, Billy Lowe character throughout the movie. And it's interesting to me. I don't know enough about kabuki like theater to understand it. I thought it was Japanese. Are they in Japan? I, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Goons barge into the backstage area and beat Billy up, and his uncle does literally nothing to try to stop this or help him in any way. Did you notice that? His uncle's trying to teach him a life lesson. Sometimes you've got to let him take his beating, man. Like, come on, what kind of uncle are you going to be? Maybe he's just scared of the syndicate. I mean, obviously he is. We get more mob talk now as they decide that Billy has made his choice, and it's time to close that book once and for all. Meanwhile, Billy calls Anne and tells her to meet him on the 6 o'clock ferry, where we see that they are clearly being watched. Billy tries to convince her to get out of town, saying that he needs to solve this on his own, and her sticking around could get her hurt. But rather than do that, she calls Gig Young and asks him to meet her on set for Billy's last day of shooting to try to convince him to change his mind. Bad choices. She, Miss Morris, Anne, is it Anne? Anne is the first yeah, name of the character, yeah. Anne really needed to get out of town. He's been trying to push her for that for a while. 
their relationship is kind of baffling to me. They don't give us a lot of backstory, but we know that they're in love. When he's getting beat up or fought and she's there, she is making just the most pathetic sort of like claims for like, no, Billy, don't oh, fight. Yeah, she's not a good actress. She's really bad. I would like her to get off screen. Uh, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> and out of here. But she doesn't. She comes to set and sees Billy in what is supposed to be his last performance before they leave away from this syndicate. Yeah, and this scene, you, we kind of touched on this earlier, but... Just some really unfortunate foreshadowing here because a prop master or a special effects coordinator lectures some actors in the safe use of blanks and firearms on set. And we see that one of the actors is Mr. Stick from Dr. Land's crew. So we know where this is going. But all I could think of during this whole scene is how Brandon Lee died from exactly this happening on the set of The Crow. It's hard to comprehend, really, because it's almost predictive. It's so strange to me that his son dies from this exact same kind of incident where a blank gets switched for a real bullet on a movie set. It almost seems intentional, right? Like, well, Yeah, a lot of people thought it wasn't a coincidence. This was some sort of sign that like he had been killed or something or some sort of retaliatory thing. Like, I don't know. It's, it, it's it, weird. It does make you question how that possibly happened on the set of that movie. And, I mean, we know it does happen. We had a recent example of that. Alec Baldwin. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it can happen. But for it to happen in this movie as a part of the explanation why Bruce Lee is no longer in the film is something that is almost incomprehensible. Yeah, now, as we just said, Jim's going to show up here. Jim is the gig young character with Anne to try to talk Billy out of whatever it is he's trying to do. And this scene is the one, for me, where it becomes very clear that when they were looking for a Bruce Lee lookalike to finish this movie, they were way more focused on the looks part than, say, finding someone who could actually act. <laughs> this dude's not good either. It was definitely his looks, but I think it was also probably his ability to actually perform martial arts. Because they needed someone who was not going to be as good as Bruce Lee, but could at least appear to be a martial artist. Yeah, that's fair. All I'm saying is him playing angry here does not land even a little bit. Oh, goodness, no. No, but what does land, after some very choppy editing, is a very real bullet right in his face compliments of Mr. Stick. So to the hospital we go where the doctor breaks the news to Gig Young that there's no way Billy will ever look the same again, which I have to say, well done, filmmakers. This is a brilliant idea. Like, it's a terrible idea because you're trying to squeeze every drop of money as you can from Bruce Lee's dead body, but from a story standpoint, it is the perfect excuse, like you said. I actually like this choice, too, if, if you're going to lean into it and do it properly, after watching it, what I feel like should have happened is they almost should have had Bruce appear after the shot in the face. I feel like everything before, the character before, the Billy Lowe character, should have been a stand-in. They should have never showed Bruce Lee and then tried to cut the end of this movie with the real person. Now, that's interesting because, yeah, at the end, most of the footage at the end is the real Bruce Lee. So they almost did this backwards in a way, like the opposite of what you'd expect. Yes, well... It's the opposite of what I think would have been effective because mm. what happens here is they do set this up where they're going to have, it's going to be okay that he looks different because he was shot in the face and they had to do all this plastic surgery. It works well as a plot point because the syndicate is going to think that he's dead and they're not going to know who he is, but they don't keep it consistent. No, definitely not. And that's what drives me just bonkers about this is that 
there's not just one Bruce Lee after this. They actually go to two different actors yeah. and clips from old Bruce Lee. That was a dumb choice. They should got one guy and just do one guy for the whole movie. Absolutely. And the only time they diverged from that was after and before this gunshot. Because this makes sense. But what they're about to do in a second, I cannot forgive them for. Yeah, I was going to say, this whole movie is very exploitative. But these next couple minutes are where this just goes too far, in my opinion. To get the syndicate off his back, they hatch a plan to fake Billy's death. That's what we're going to go with. And then we get footage from Bruce Lee's actual funeral, including a very real close-up shot of him in the coffin, all with shots of the actors in this movie cut in. Like, for me, this is borderline sickening. Oh, yeah. This is unethical. Bruce Lee's family, did they give permission to this? Like, this is something where... I have where, no idea. Like, I don't know. the only way a movie after someone has died and they've made parts of it make sense to me is if it is in honor to them, and that is not what this felt like. Nothing about the plot or the way this was done feels like they're honoring Bruce Lee. Well, and a shot of him in his coffin, like, come on, man. That, to me, is oh, it's too much. Yeah, it is. I agree. This sets the tone for maximum exploitation. You can't go further than this. Yeah, like I said, uh, borderline sickening. And speaking of sickening, Anne has a breakdown after the syndicate confronts her at the funeral and her acting, my God. She shouts, Don't you understand anything? Everybody looked at them, but not one person could see anything. Then walks about four steps and faints, and the next time we see her, she's in the psych hospital. This is her big scene, and she goes for it, but she does not get it. Colleen Camp is having a tough time here. I mean, she's trying to express her grief, and it is coming across very poorly. The only thing worse than her acting is her singing ability. Oh, wow. I actually would prefer to hear her sing than watch her act. No, not after the end credits and that small portion of song that we had previous to that. It is awful. You don't think it was actually her singing? That wasn't her singing. Oh, yes, it is. No, come on. That's oh, got to be someone else. Absolutely, it's her singing. They're the, not just dubbing that? Are you sure? The end credits are definitely this actress trying to perform the I song. I don't. I think it's someone else. And it does else. not land. I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. But here's what I do now. At the psychiatric hospital, the doctor says she had a trauma that caused physical paralysis. And you know what's not going to help that? The syndicate visiting her at the hospital. They even brought Mr. Stick along, even though she saw him on the movie set. And I'm not sure about that call. Yeah. This was shocking to me, both that the hospital let all of these, like, old white men in to see this woman, who there was probably no reason for them to be there. And then for them to threaten her while she's in a mental institution is excessive. What are they trying to get out of her at this point? They want her to sign a contract with them as well, don't they? Because this woman who is now broken down in a mental institution, it, this is the great time to get her to sign a contract. Her career looks like it's on the upswing. She's vulnerable, though. I mean, you're right. She might decide to do it, but what does she do instead? Oh, she tells him to fuck off. Uh, the weirdest part about this whole thing to me is after she correctly calls the mobsters murderers and yells them to get out, they're like offended. Dr. Lance seems legitimately upset that she rejected the offer and calls her a rude bitch. Like, are you serious? You just tried to murder her boyfriend. Yeah, this is weird. This is where, in my notes, I'm like, this group of villains is super boring and not very convincing. I don't see them as a large threat. I think this media syndicate is bullshit. And I'm really struggling with the way they're trying to tie together the real sort of game of death footage with this. I'm really, really struggling. Well, speaking of the new footage and the old footage, we get to see the new Billy Lowe. And in reversal from earlier, now he's the one tailing the syndicate. 
They've scarred up his face a little bit after the surgery, and they decide that it's a good time to put a beard on him. Yeah, he does put a fake beard on. He follows them to the harbor where he pays a drunken ship captain to follow their boat and confirms that they are, in fact, traveling back and forth from Macau, which, why is that important? I don't think that part's important. I think what was important is that he now has a bead on the syndicate and where they're sort of working from. This whole, like, slow tugboat, speedboat chase or, like, follow thing is kind of pointless and weird. Filler. Yeah, I always know that there would be some padding comments from you. I felt there was actually quite a bit of that in this movie. Well, whenever you have fucking 11 minutes of usable film and you have to fill in an hour and a half <laughs> it's of other film, padding, yeah. you know that there's going to be a lot of padding, and that's basically any time the syndicate is involved. But, yeah, it's a real struggle here. I would like some good Bruce Lee fights, and we have got, like, basically none of that. Yeah, they're coming, just not yet. Uh, We get a quick scene of Anne calling Gig Young to tell him about her visitors at the hospital. I mean, that's the premise of the scene, but the real point is to show us that Anne is now packing heat as she opens (laughs) up her purse to get her keys, and we see a gun inside. We then cut to Macau, and Billy gets eyes on Dr. Land. Yeah, so now we have Billy and maybe Anne going after the syndicate. They've had enough. They're ready to push back, and I'm hoping we're going to get some action and fight soon. We do soon-ish, but before that, the doctor gets delayed by some kind of street performance in a straight filler scene. This is just padding. And then we get a meeting between mobsters. Awa bearded Billy goes creeping around the grounds waiting for his moment to attack Dr. Land. He does, and the guards are quickly summoned, and we've got another fight scene, so you're finally getting some of that action. It's not horrible. Um, it's it's no Bruce Lee fight because we know it's Bruce Lee's stand in here. But they do an edit here where I just lost my mind. You, did you notice the edit that happens? Uh, I don't think I did. Okay. There is this extreme unearthly leg kick that's not even possible. They put someone else's leg kicking two people and I lost my mind. I oh, was like... fuck, man. I missed that. I don't know. Oh, this is a scene that if, you, if you're going to watch this movie and I don't recommend it... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this is a scene that you should watch. You need to go to the point where they're fighting in this garden and watch the obscene leg kick and then go to about the last 10 minutes of the film. I don't know about that because to me, the whole point of this scene, it just teases a confrontation between Billy and Carl who is also a martial artist in real life, but they barely even touch before Steiner fires a couple shots and chases Billy off. It's a useless scene. The only part that makes it worthwhile is watching the leg edit, which is fucking absurd. I I don't think there's been a more egregious fight scene edit than watching this leg come up and kick two people out of no one. I think there's a more egregious one later. I would rather the edits in Human Tornado than this by a long fucking mile. Well, I'd rather watch Human Tornado. I mean, Human Tornado is great. That's not, let's not drag the good goddamn No, no, I enjoyed Human Tornado a great amount, but the time where he like jumps up and kicks a whole bunch of people, more believable than this fucking leg kick. You've just given me a billion dollar idea. What if Rudy Ray Moore had been one of the like fucking people at the end of this movie that he had to beat? Oh my god, it would have been amazing. I mean, why? It, if if the pagoda, this. if one of the pagoda levels it was, was Rudy Ray Moore, yeah, it was Dolomite. The only problem is who yeah. wins. I mean, maybe you can't. Maybe you get to the Dolomite top level. Yeah, and then it doesn't end. This movie stays forever. That'd be fucking amazing. I do like at the end of this scene how the bad guys spend a minute or two trying to figure out who was that mysterious man. Is not that good a disguise. Like, come on. He's just he's just wearing like a shitty fake beard. It's clearly Billy Lowe. I rolled my eyes so hard my contacts fell out. It was one of those <laughs> moments where <laughs> when on, they yeah. didn't know who it was, I, I was so angry. And it was confusing that they were not sure that it was Billy Lowe. And they still don't know. So we're moving forward them not understanding Billy Lowe is back, even though he clearly just showed himself. Well, that's going to work 
to his advantage. And in the meantime, we get a little footage of Carl in action. He's competing in some sort of martial arts contest, and he isn't doing great. And all I could think of this whole time was, if you want to build to a big confrontation with Billy later on, shouldn't Carl just be demolishing guys in this tournament? So I think what's happening here is they are still trying to set up a fight where Carl is the underdog and he's going to win, and that's going to win some money for the Chinese mafia who who sort of bet on it. But if he's this big bad guy for Bruce Lee, why is he why is he the underdog? Why is he having trouble? He should be fucking killing this dude to show us how dangerous he is. The only legitimate big bad is Kareem. I was going to say he's literally big. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He is the only one. But they they can't set up anything realistic here, and it's bullshit. Yeah, it is. Now, also at this contest, Anne, and she's about to use the gun in her purse on Dr. Land when Billy, in a much better disguise than last time, uh. <laughs> tells her to cool it. He says to her, what must be done is being done. By much better uh, disguise, you mean like a racist old sensei disguise? At least he put some effort in it. He's got different color hair. He's got like whatever. There was so a, his, face, his face looks like an old man disguise, but the rest of his body is super youthful and does not match. It is, it is a pretty bullshit disguise. So he does stop Anne from going after Dr. Land with the gun because we know that wouldn't have went well for him. And he's biding his time. He's going to solve the problem himself. Well, he solves it quickly because Carl ends up winning. And post-fight, we see him literally carried backstage by various hangers-on and well-wishers. There's press snapping photographs. And while they're enjoying some champagne, Carl decides to step out for a quick shower. Little does he know that Billy Lowe is in there waiting for him. Okay, I have a question for you. Shoot. Carl, you don't seem impressed by him. I don't. But apparently in real life, he's an actual martial artist. I don't want any trouble from Carl. I believe that he's actually in some of the other Bruce Lee movies as a villain against Bruce Lee. That's my understanding. So Carl meets Bruce in this locker room. He doesn't know it's uh, Billy Lowe at this point. He just sees this old man. Well, I know. And he he says to him, Who the hell are you? Get going, fella. (laughs) Which is like... (laughs) I don't know, man. He gets old-timey. Carl just gets old-timey. One, he doesn't have an Australian accent, even though he's supposed to be Australian. Two, clearly he can't deliver lines. No, my God, no. But once Billy takes off his disguise, we get a locker room fight scene mixed with close-up shots of the real Bruce Lee, who is clearly in another location. This is interesting, though, because I think the locker room fight was real footage from the original. No, 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 no. When they cut to the shots of Bruce Lee, the background is not a locker room. He's somewhere else. Well, I agree. There are points in that fight where Bruce Lee actually has wallpaper instead of concrete walls. But I think pieces of that were Bruce fighting Carl. And I don't know if that was taken from other films or where. I think this is this fight is a weird intermingle of real Bruce fighting Carl and then strange pieces put in for this film. I don't see it, man. I'm going to disagree with you. I think that was a straight, like, it's the Bruce Lee fake actor. This is not, there's no real Bruce Lee in this scene, except for the cutscenes. I think. I want to know. I'm interested in see how this one gets resolved. Now, here's what I know for sure. The absolute cherry on the Sunday is when Billy Lowe wins the fight by kicking Carl into a locker, like literally inside of it. And they cut to another shot of Bruce Lee, who definitely isn't saying, you lose, Carl Miller. But that's what comes out of his mouth. I just spit took all my beer on my crotch um, because that you lose Carl Miller was horrific. He is not saying any of those words, dude. Not even close. It might be the worst cut in this movie. And that's like we have the cardboard cut. We have so many different cuts. All of this to me is like I'm happy that we had the fight scene because it's the only reason why I want to watch this movie really. Um, But it's just not holding up in any way. 
No. Now, while this is all happening, those motorcycle guys are still following Anne. She's trying to convince Gig Young that the old man was actually Billy and that he's not dead. So she's actually pretty sharp, but not as sharp as Dr. Land, who tells Steiner to dig up Billy's casket so we can take a look inside. He does, after poking it with his cane sword, discovers that this isn't Billy at all. It's like a porcelain statue? Apparently, they buried a porcelain head Billy and stuffed everything else there. All of these scenes with the syndicate here are really poorly done, and I'm also having a lot of trouble understanding what they're saying, and I'm starting to think that they're editing their voices to make them sound more sinister. Uh, maybe. There were times in this where I definitely thought, like, beyond the obvious Bruce Lee ones, there were times where I actually thought that every actor had been overdubbed. It seemed that way. Like, it was really, really hard to understand in here, and it felt like it was intentional to make Dr. Land's character feel more sinister. Somehow next, I don't understand this, the real Billy gets found by Anne somehow? Like, he must have told her to meet him there, right? Otherwise, there's just no way she could have actually found him, right? Oh, no, no. He he arranged through the guy who killed his wife to uh, get this going. Okay, okay. That makes more sense because I was like, how the fuck did she find him? No, no, he figured it out. He arranged it, and then uh, they called each other, or then... Jim. I think Jim's the character yep. name. Jim called Gig Young Ant. plays Jim. Yeah. Yep. Jim Jim called them both to figure this out. Well, either way, he tells her again to get the hell out of town. It looks like she might actually listen to him, but within 10 seconds, she gets grabbed by the motorcycle gang. Uh, Steiner, meanwhile, pays Gig Young a visit and tells him to let Billy know they have the girl. He's supposed to show up at some warehouse alone, and he does, officially kicking off the game of death. <laughs> so is this where you think it starts? Yeah, man. Round one, the motorcycle gang. So this is interesting because the original movie was an idea where Bruce Lee was a martial arts sort of hero and champion. He retired from martial arts and then was taken by a Korean gang because this Korean gang needed someone who could break through five levels of martial arts challenges to get a reward at the top of a pagoda. Yeah, it's like an Asian Hercules kind of scenario. Exactly, which sounds like an amazing movie, really. It sounds really cool. Each level was going to be a different martial arts style, and the person who broke them all had to change their style to adjust and fight them. Perfect role for Bruce Lee. It sounds amazing, um, and that's what the game of death was. In this movie, instead, they have all of this syndicate bullshit, and you're saying that now the motorcycle gang is level one? Well, okay, so I guess not in that everything else happens in one building, so I guess that's a strike against my argument here, but before he gets that building, he does fight that motorcycle gang. I'm not going to disagree with you, because when we get to the Bigota later in this movie, we only see three fights. So I like the idea that this might be one of the fights, if the original idea was five. It is funny the things that get set up here one of them, he kicks a box in front of a motorcycle and the guy goes <laughs> yeah, flying. That might yeah. be where he steals the yellow jumpsuit. He also slides his motorcycle out and ramps another guy into a motorcycle explosion. Yep. You know how I feel about when things explode for no oh, reason, yes, especially vehicles? Yeah, 100%. It happens here a couple times, and I'm just not okay with it. Yeah. He wipes that gang out, though, but Mr. Stick is also there. He tries shooting Billy but misses, and Billy charges him, quickly getting rid of Mr. Stick. And then we get maybe the single worst acted part of this whole movie. After punching Mr. Stick many, many times, Billy lifts his limp body off the ground, stares right at him, and says, Where's the doctor? <laughs> Dude, this is... Oh. This is oh. so clearly not Bruce Lee. All I could think of was, why are they shooting this guy head on? Yeah, you're right. This is a massive fail. 
this does not work out in any way. It's clearly not Bruce. It's clearly not convincing. But guess what? What does Stick do? He fucking tells him, I guess. Yeah, he gives it up. Stick gives it up. And now we're going to the original movie. We're heading to the fucking Pagoda or, in this movie, the Red Pepper Restaurant. I was going to say it's a restaurant. I I just can't get over this scene, man. It's like they were running out of money and time, and they were just like, ah, just fuck it. You know what? Good enough. One take. We're done. I'm okay with it because we're about to get to the only good 10 minutes of this whole fucking film. That is true. So, as you mentioned, we head to what... Uh, looks like a restaurant, but it's actually the next round of the game of death. We've got a nunchuck fight to start with some guy who Bruce Lee, the real one, toys with for a while before snapping his neck with a nunchuck cord. Yeah, this one is pretty graphic. Um, The fight itself with nunchucks is pretty fun until a very quick death. Apparently, this is one of Bruce's like good friends and training partners in real life. This was someone who trained with him for a very long time. So you can tell their experience fighting each other. And it's a really good and fun martial arts scene. It is for sure. And I think you mentioned Chuck Norris earlier. In all of Bruce Lee's movies, he would incorporate like guys he trained with, friends of his. It makes sense. You'd rather have the people you normally spar or fight against sort of showing up in a martial arts performance. You don't want sort of lame actors who are going to get thrown around. For sure. And you know what? It is a nice little scene, like you said. No time to relax, though, because round three begins immediately. It's a hand-to-hand fight with some Asian Lothario. This guy, <laughs> this guy is lounging in like a vaguely sexual position behind a sheer curtain. He's got beautiful hair and some kind of like menacing claw grip, but that doesn't stop him from getting his back broken. This one's funny. He comes out. Uh, he's... He is, like you suggested, laying in a very suggestive way when Bruce comes up the stairs. He comes out and shows Bruce that he is sort of fighting as the tiger. It sort of seems like that kind of claw hand. I mean, they have a pretty good fight. Bruce is sort of winning all the way along until Bruce fucking snaps his back and this is over. Oh, it's absolutely over. And that means it's time for the main event. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who is essentially wearing booty shorts. (laughs) <laughs> these shorts are so small man <laughs> so we got level four we only have two levels left um kareem feels like the big bad he feels like the final boss he kind of reminds me of the character from uh street fighter the Dalsim? one yes with a very long just lift. the reach jesus the reach yes. on him yeah it's so long the shorts they have on him are maybe six inches of fabric and the rest of his legs look like seven feet long if he were not wearing a jock strap, his d- would be hanging out of those oh, shorts for sure. Oh my God, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, listen, these shorts are scandalous, but not as scandalous as some of the fight moves that we see here. It's interesting because they give him a really sort of chilled out style. He's wearing the like Morpheus Matrix glasses the entire time. He's got sunglasses on. And Wait, his, those don't look anything like the glasses that Morpheus wears. Just the style and the way that he's acting. No, Morpheus had these tiny little like nose clip glasses. Cream has these giant fucking 80s sunglasses. Or they 70s, can't, I guess. They can't come off his face. They're stuck on there just like Morpheus is. And he feels like he's locked in. He's very chill. He's ready to like respond to what Bruce has coming at him. Well, and yet, possibly because of his massive size, all of his kicks are like fucking shin level. <laughs> like, come on, man. This I is mean, not look convincing. I mean... I actually don't dislike Kareem's fight with him. I think it's pretty entertaining. I wish Kareem's legs could have reached higher than his waist because they would have been amazing. It would have looked just ridiculous because his leg length is almost the same as Bruce's entire body. Oh, he's got legs for days for sure. This fight is is pretty entertaining. It goes on too long. I feel mm. like the start of it is really good. There's some like neck grapples and a lot of kicking and punching. 
Um, one thing we've noticed about Bruce Lee throughout this is he's not afraid to go for the balls and he punches. Oh, dude. Yeah. No, they go back and forth for a while here. Kareem with his shin kicks and Bruce Lee with his dick punches. Yeah. So yeah. he's he's done a few dick punches and it's all going kind of equal until Bruce smashes through the wall and gets some light coming into the room. Well, but before that, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is about to kill Bruce Lee by driving his face into a piece of broken glass. And here's where we get the most absurd fucking edit slash move in this whole movie. Bruce Lee does like a push-up where his whole body comes off the ground. <laughs> like his legs also. Yeah. And then he somehow flips and kicks Kareem Abdul-Jabbar like in the ears. There is no way this is physically possible. Even if it were physically possible, it's not believable in this movie because they use this same ear slap edit three times in this fight scene. This whole thing's fucking absurd. Eventually, as you mentioned, Bruce Lee figures out Kareem's weakness. It's photosensitivity. That's why he's always wearing those sunglasses. When a window breaks, some light starts coming through. Even with the sunglasses, he's kind of recoiling from the light. So Bruce Lee quickly kicks them off his face and ends up choking him out for the win. And now, there's only two people left. Steiner, who loses a quick fight to Bruce Lee despite his sword cane. Well, oh, the fake Bruce yeah, Lee. So yeah, so sword cane, sword cane goes down. I want to throw back to the Kareem fight for a second because there's one part we didn't mention that I thought was pretty sweet. We know that like yellow jumpsuit, which is pretty memorable. It sort of popped up a lot. The very first interaction between Kareem and Bruce Lee in this is when he kicks him in the chest and we have a sweet footprint right in the that center. That is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And that transitions is in there as they move on through the movie. So I like that that happened in the real footage and then continued... When we get to the Steiner fight, the Steiner fight's a joke. It's hilarious because when he's killing him in the final moments, we actually have the hair of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the shots. Yeah, they cut a close-up of the real Bruce Lee, and it's clearly from his fight with Kareem because you can see his afro sticking up in the bottom left corner of the screen. Yeah, Yeah, so that's a lot of bullshit. And then he takes him down, and he has to go after the final boss? Well, yeah, like (laughs) Dr. Land is all that's left. And when Bruce Lee goes to confront him, he sees that Dr. Lin has apparently committed suicide, except this is like a wax dummy. He just rips the head off. It's clearly not actually Dr. Land. Dr. Land's hiding behind a two-way mirror, which Billy kicks through and then chases Dr. Land out onto the roof. And this is so anticlimactic because the doctor just falls off the roof after calling Billy a son of a bitch. (laughs) That's it. He just falls off. This chase scene is super lame. I mean, I don't expect a lot more because there's no way that Dr. Land in his feeble old self could fight Bruce Lee. Uh, the fall of the dummy that is supposed to oh be Dr. Land. Oh, my God. It's clearly such a dummy. The arms are, like, flopping in the air as it falls down. It doesn't even look a little bit human. I laughed so hard, though, as yeah, it it's broke, hilarious. Yeah. broke through the neon lights that were in the building He smashes into four different neon lights. Yeah, he's just bouncing around like a pinball, smashing neon lights on his death towards the ground as Bruce is about to win this movie. And I'm laughing here. I'm, I'm upset that this is the way they ended the pagoda scene because... It had so much promise, and this is kind of bullshit, but I did laugh my ass off at this part. Dude, the Kareem fight was good, and the last two were a complete waste of fucking time. We know that Sword Kane and Dr. Lan offer us zero resistance. What I'm probably most upset about this remake is the way that they tried to piece this together with the syndicate and the Hold fact on, that... that's what you're most upset about in this movie? Yeah, I actually... Oh my God, dude. All of the cuts of fake Bruce and the not Bruce... Footage. Carver, well, okay, sorry. There's nothing that goes beyond the funeral Yeah, footage. That is absolutely un, like unacceptable. You shouldn't be doing that in a way to make money. And this movie made money, which, yeah. which is kind of upsetting to me. 
But if you were a fan of Bruce Lee, would you not watch the movie that was his last movie? Absolutely. I mean, I have watched this like several times. Yeah, and I would have gone to the theater to see this. If I was alive and interested at the time, I would have went and saw this, right? Because it was Bruce Lee's last movie. It did not sort of pay credit to the great movies that Bruce created. Oh, God, not even a little bit. Like, and not it, even close. No. And, and now it's over. We get a redo of the James Bond style credits in the beginning with some lady singing a very melodramatic song who I don't think is actress Colleen Camp, but we'll see. I think it is. I, I really think do is, think man. that's the actress who did that sort of finale song. And it sucks ass. It fucking sucks ass. Yeah, it's so, it's so fucking dramatic. Anyway, we're done. That's it. We're at the credits and it's over. I don't know, man. Like, do you have anything else to say before we go to the ratings? I'm ready to rate this, like, right now. <laughs> so, I claimed previously to be a big fan of martial arts films. And I watched a lot of them. I think partially inspired by some of the films that came out in the 90s and the 2000s. The Crouch and Tiger, Hidden Dragon kind of style films. Um, I love sort of Drunken Master, Chow Young Fat films. Some of those kind of ideas, and I really enjoyed it. And then I started to look into where they came from or where that sort of fighting style came from. Bruce Lee, I had watched Enter the Dragon several times, and that's where all of the sort of tournament martial arts films came from. We wouldn't have had Bloodsport without Enter the Dragon. Way of the Dragon with Chuck Norris and so much of the fun that comes from that. And then we started having period pieces from him too. This movie from or created with Bruce Lee in mind is so sacrilegious in my mind compared to that that it's hard for me not to just shit all over it. Like, we have to. Well, we're going to find out exactly how bad you think it is because it's time for us to rate it. As you know, we always rate this the same way. We do a scale of 1 to 10 two times, once for how bad it is, once for how enjoyable, and the goal is to find movies that are 10 out of 10 on both scales, or as we call it, the Crit 20. And for me, this movie does not quite make it all the way there. I do think it is very, very bad, but the problem, if you can call it a problem, is... The scenes with the actual Bruce Lee, pretty fucking good. And I also respect the workaround they came up with for him dying where they have to like change his face because of being shot. That's clever to me. That combined with the scenes that were actually filmed for his passing only let me push this up to a 9 out of 10 for how bad this is. And that's my opinion. If you disagree, I will totally understand. <laughs> but for me, it's a 9, not a 10. What do you think? I like the idea of the workaround they did. The Bruce Lee scenes were good. But after talking about it, I'm so, so upset about the fact that they made this and the way that it exploited Bruce Lee that it's a 10 bad for me. I mean, it's definitely a 10 bad for editing. Like, it's just not, it's editing one of the alone, worst edited films yeah. I've ever seen in my life. It, it has to be. Um, I just, I, I can't stand the decisions they made around the syndicate. It didn't make sense to me. It wasn't entertaining. None of those characters connected. The editing was fucking awful. Bruce Lee is a great martial arts person. He made great movies uh, related to those. But the fact that they took his last filmed sort of pieces and turned it into this debauchery means that it is a... Debauchery? Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's a fucking 10 for me. It's a 10 in bad. Okay, but how enjoyable on a scale of 1 to 10? Oh, God. It's hard to separate the good martial arts fun parts with the fucking shit show that they created. It really is, yeah. It's really hard. This is not going to be the worst movie we've reviewed lately because Batman and Robin Batman sets and a Robin bar. Yeah. has set a new... What's the opposite of like a high bar? It's yeah. Like a low bar, I guess. The, I yeah, know. they've set the lowest bar possible. You can fucking roll yourself over that. There's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's gargantuan how bad that was in comparison. I have to give credit to the great 
Bruce Lee fights in this. I have to give credit to some of the creative de- uh, ideas to try to make it work. The editing sucked. It's so bad. The writing sucked. The acting sucked. The acting's very bad also, yeah. yes. It's not in the same way. I'm, I'm upset that they made this and the way they did it, but I was not unentertained at points. Um, so I'm going to leave this as a five in entertainment. If it was only 20 minutes of Bruce Lee fighting those cool fights, it would have been much better than the hour and 40 minutes of garbage, right, that added it. If they took out 100 minutes of this and made it a 40-minute film with something around it, I would have been much happier. A short feature. I would have loved it. I would have been fine with a final Bruce Lee short feature. It could have ended with a funeral and everyone celebrating him rather than putting it in the middle and being absolute horseshit. Well, I don't feel quite as bad as you do about this. I have this as a seven. Part of that, I think, is there's kind of like a morbid curiosity for me. And every time I watch it, it's the same thing. It's like, how did they do this? After he died with such little footage shot, it, there's there's something there. There's something there in terms of me enjoying it just to see like, here's what they tried. Here's all the many ways they failed. But like just from a filmmaking standpoint, there's something interesting to that. And as we mentioned, it's kind of in a lot of ways like a pilot project for all these other movies that had to do that when they had a star pass away. And that probably contributed to my rating. I do agree that having that challenge of trying to figure out why they made choices is actually interesting as a viewer. Yeah. Like, when it reminded me of Spookies, I gave Spookies a really high rating. We both did. And I think that was because I like the idea of thinking about the choices they made to mix things together. And that did hold this the enjoyment of this movie up a little bit. But the, Barely. You gave it a fucking five. Oh, I agree. It could have been way lower. Five is not a one. If it wasn't them capitalizing on his death in the same way, the enjoyability probably would have been a seven or eight for me. Well, that's why I'm only a seven because yeah. I did have some issues with it. The funeral footage is like indefensible. You can't, there's yeah. no reason for that to be in there. No. You could have easily just taken the actor and shot a fake funeral. Like, I guess you're trying to save money or make it more authentic, but that's bullshit. Like, there's no need for that. It just seems tasteless, right? No, when you try it does. something yeah, like that. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, I, I'm at a seven. Like, again, enjoyable. The Bruce Lee fight scenes we mentioned, very enjoyable. But there's a lot wrong with this, and a lot took me out of it. Not the worst movie we've watched, as you mentioned, but certainly not very enjoyable. And speaking of not very enjoyable. Oh, no, don't do that. It's a Nolan beer. It's not a Cooper beer. Come on. It was delicious. I love <laughs> It's a Nolan beer. Yeah, I loved both the hop notes. I loved all of the carbonation that you sort of expressed at the start of that. Um, it was easy for me to drink. I took two of these down pretty quickly and really did enjoy it. I would be back for more. I'm excited by the beers made at Rouge River. I would love to visit, and I hope to get a chance to drink some more of their beers too. So thank you, Rouge River. They've got some good stuff. Don't get me wrong. Again, I'm a fruited sour man. They make some sours that are very tasty. This is an IPA for IPA lovers, and I am not an IPA lover. Yeah, we need to get a little bit more juicy, a little less strong for you. I Where's think the malt? Is. Give me the malt. <laughs> I like the malt. You want caramel in your mouth. I do, definitely. So that's uh, pretty much it for Game of Death. Next week, we might have another edition of Good Movies and Beer. This one, although not box office successful, big cult following. Next week, we are watching and discussing Event Horizon. Ooh, I remember watching this in high school. It's been a really long time. It's horror sci-fi? Sci-fi horror, cult following, bombed the box office, and maybe next week we'll figure out why. Good, I'm into it. I'm looking forward to it. And also, Morpheus from The Matrix, Lawrence Fishburne in there. So, so the sunglasses are staying on the whole time, huh? <laughs> no, 
No sunglasses in this one for him, I don't think. <laughs> so that'll be next week. Excited for that little horror sci-fi. Just want to say thank you all for listening. If you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the BMB Podcast. If you want to send us any suggestions for movies or beer, feel free to slide into the DMs of our social media or send us an email at the BMB Podcast at gmail.com. Absolutely. We love to hear from you. And please join us next week for Event Horizon. Until then, I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep it Bruce Lee. I love you. Bruce Lee challenges the underworld to a game of death.